This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. If you like this podcast, you may also like my Conversations from a Page Literary Salon. To check it out, go to cfapage.net. If you have personalized book questions or feedback on my podcast, I can be reached at cindyhburnett at att.net. I partner with Murder by the Book for this podcast, and Jackie and Maria can be purchased there. The link is in my show notes. Today, I am interviewing Jill Paul. Jill was born in Scotland and grew up there, apart from an eventful year at a school in the United States when she was 10. She studied medicine at Glasgow University, then English literature and history, before moving to London to work in publishing. Her first novel was written on weekends, but she now has given up the day job to write fiction full-time. She also writes short stories for magazines and speaks at libraries and literary festivals. Welcome, Jill. I'm looking forward to chatting with you about Jackie and Maria. How are you today? Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this podcast with you, Cindy. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm really glad you're here. So why don't we start out with you just telling me a little bit about the book? Jackie and Maria is my fictionalized account of two real-life women, Jackie Kennedy and Maria Callas, and the way their lives came to overlap through their relationships with a multimillionaire, Aristotle Onassis. I've been writing novels about real-life historical characters for a while now, but this one was particularly challenging because I'm describing Jackie Kennedy, this great icon for the American market, whereas your listeners can probably hear is that I'm a Brit. I'm Scottish, in fact. (laughs) So that was one challenge. And what I try to do is stick very closely to the historical facts, but turn it into a story and have a, a narrative, a beginning, middle and an end. So you have to kind of shoehorn history into that structure. So it makes it challenging, but it was a really great fun book to do. You know, the very glamorous locations and lifestyles of these people and the very real heartaches that they experienced as well. Where did you get the inspiration to write this one? I quite often get contacted by readers on social media um, suggesting ideas of the book that I should write the next time. And um, this one came from a reader in Athens called Barbara Dukas. And she said, why don't you write about Maria Callas and Onassis and Jackie Kennedy? And immediately, I just, I think I lit up like a pinball machine. I was so excited about it. It just had all the elements that I like in my novels, which is a really tortured love affair some great period setting, characters that I was interested in personally. I just really wanted to do it. So I took it to my American editor and she wanted to do it as well. So that was great. And Barbara doesn't know this yet because I've just stuck a book in the post to her today, but it is dedicated to her and I hope she'll be pleased about that. What a lovely gesture though. That is so nice. Oh, it's the best gift that you can give a novelist like me is to suggest an idea that's going to be the next novel that's wonderful, better than any kind of new dress or, or any other kind of gift. Yeah. Well, and it's an interesting perspective because there's obviously a lot written about Jackie and probably a lot written about Maria. I just don't know her as well. Sure. But to put them together um, is a very interesting premise. Well, I mean, they have this natural link in that Maria Callas had been in a relationship with Aristotle Onassis for nine years when she heard through the media, if you can believe it, that he was marrying Jackie Kennedy. 
um, huge shock. She'd been with him very recently. They'd, she'd spent the month of June, July with him on Scorpius and um, they'd had an argument at the end of July. She stormed back to Paris and then she hears in the press that he's marrying Jackie Kennedy. I mean, it was just a horrible, awful shock. She said at the time that she felt as though she'd been hit over the head with a mallet and she just couldn't catch her breath. So uh, that was just something that made me I, I was just so surprised at how close they were. I mean, I've known this story, the basic outline of the story for a long time, but the fact that their overlap was so close and that three weeks after marrying Jackie Kennedy, Onassis was back at Maria's door in Paris wanting to resume their affair. So I hadn't quite realised when I started out that they, they were quite, the time frame was quite so close. I mean, we're now looking from this perspective, from 2020, when um, this kind of behaviour is not acceptable at all. But back then, he wasn't the worst of the great womanizers. There were many others. There was the Rat Pack and you know, all the actors. He saw women as possessions, I think. You know, he, he wanted them to bolster his ego, to make him look bigger. To, he always wanted the best of everything, um, the best champagne, to be seen eating at the best restaurants and to have the best woman on his arm. And for a time, that was Maria Callas. I mean, she was by far the greatest first soprano in the world. And you ask opera experts today, and most of them would pick her as the greatest opera singer of all time. So, I mean, she really was quite, quite a great person to have on his arm. But then he managed to get into the radar of America's grieving widow, Jackie Kennedy, and she seemed like a bigger prize. So he went after her instead. It's, there was a real calculation about everything he did. Yes, and he had such a huge ego. So everything was all about just feeding his own ego. But it, it does, when I read those stories about Jackie, I do feel for her because she just did not gravitate to men that treated her very well. She really didn't. And it was one of the, the questions that I want to ask in this novel is, um, well, first of all, to just understand for myself why she stayed with Jack when he was unfaithful to her in such a blatant and a blatant way, having women in, in her own bed. You know, it's just horrible. Why did she put up with that? Why did she marry Onassis at the time that she did? And also, there's another subplot in my novel, which is, I don't know if your listeners will be aware that um, Jackie's sister, Lee, was having an affair with Onassis first while he was with Maria. Lee started her affair with him in 1962. And by all accounts, she was quite keen to get his wedding ring on her finger too. And instead, Jackie got it, which is kind of odd. It, it speaks a lot about their relationship. That, that First of all, that Jackie would go out with her sister's ex without kind of checking with her first whether she minded. But when they were getting married, and it was all in quite a rush, it happened very quickly, she got Onassis to ring and tell Lee rather than doing it herself. And in lots of ways, these two women were close. I think they were particularly close as children. They shared a love of fashion. They loved foreign travel and sunny locations. But they don't seem to have been intimate in any real sense, I don't think. That's that's my take. You know, I have to... I have to qualify here that I've read a lot. I've read all the biographies. I've read letters about Jackie Kennedy and Maria Callas. But obviously, when I'm fictionalising their stories, making up dialogue and thoughts and feelings for them, it's my take on it. It's not any kind of definitive, this is the way it was. I do think that it seems like from Jackie and Lee's relationship and several books in recent years that have delved into that a little more, that they were very competitive with each other. And maybe as children, like you said, they were close. But as they got older, it seemed like maybe they were more in competition and less close and kind to each other. 
Absolutely. I mean, there were several things that got in the way of the relationship. Lee's first marriage, Jackie went to the Pope to plead to get it annulled so that she could go on and marry her second husband in the Catholic Church, Stas Radziwill, who was a Polish prince in exile. And no sooner had she married Stas than, in fact, before she married him, she was having affairs with other people. So, And I think Jackie must have been a bit annoyed about that. She'd intervened with the Pope and Lee still didn't take that second marriage particularly seriously. I think the biggest rift in their relationship, though, came when, when Jackie married Anassis, which Lee had really set her cap at him. And then um, in later life, Lee struggled with alcohol and Jackie helped to take her to the AA meetings and to see her through all that. She helped to provide stability for Lee's teenagers. But, the, you know, they, they drifted apart as they got older. They went in very different directions. Well, and that does happen. And Jackie had such a high profile life from after marrying Jack Kennedy and being in the White House and continuing on from there. So, I mean, it's it's hard, I'm sure, when you're living constantly in the spotlight. The terror, the sheer terror that she must have felt after Dallas, every time she stepped outside the house and there's people clicking with cameras the whole time. Any one of them could have been a gunman, you know, and people reaching out in the street to touch her hair. It's extraordinary. There was this fascination with that 60s hairstyle she had with the flick at the shoulders and people would reach out and touch as if she was public property. I mean, that was one of the reasons that she gave for marrying Onassis was she said she was fed up being on this pedestal as the grieving widow who everybody was watching her every move. And why is she not? Why is she out in a restaurant? She should be at home grieving. (laughs) It's, It's just she needed to break that cycle. And she certainly did use her halo a lot in the American press, certainly when she married Anassis, who had quite a shady business um, reputation, let's just say. No, the American press was not happy. But, you know, you don't blame her because everybody was watching her every move and and not always agreeing with the way she was grieving, as you mentioned, and, you know, looking at what she was wearing. And security wasn't like it is now. So I'm sure it would be quite frightening. Terrifying, yeah. Well, I would love to hear about your research for this one because I bet it was a ton of fun and I bet you learned a lot and had to really probably narrow down what you ended up including in the book. Oh, totally. Yes. I mean, whole lives of two women. It was very hard to narrow it down. I mean, I start by reading all the biographies. I try to check the reviews online first because some biographers have an agenda, as you know. And so to choose the more reputable biographies as a starting point and then just make my way through everything, any letters that are available. The most fun bit of the research was that I went to Anassis' private island of Scorpius in the Ionian Islands in Greece because I thought, you know, that's essential. I have to see this. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, it's a private island owned by a Russian billionaire's daughter, I think. But we hired a motorboat and went out and drove around it and we got seen off by the security guards at one point. But we went back, we found a quiet cove and I swam ashore and I stood on the island. That was, I just was determined to do that. It was really lovely for me to see this place where both, first of all, Maria and then Jackie lived with him and to just get the atmosphere and and see what they saw in it. It is stunning. If you're ever in that part of the world, I really recommend it. So that was the research, but mostly it's just reading. And then I'm trying to choose the events in their lives that would feed into the story I was telling, which is very much about their relationships 
And so it wasn't about politics. It's, you know, it's, it's not about any of anything else apart from their relation to their romantic relationships. Um, any events that I could include. Uh, and I then cut, cut out, I had them all written on bits of paper and I stuck them together on the carpet, stapled them together because I'm telling the story, two chapters from Rhea's point of view, two chapters from Jackie's going all the way through. And, so, and it has to work chronologically. So there was a lot of material that I had to leave, leave, leave out. But any parts where their lives began to come together, I would definitely include. So sometimes I had to cheat a little bit with dates. For example, it was 1954 when Jackie and Jack visited Onassis's yacht in the Mediterranean. And I wanted that to be in, but I didn't actually start my story to 1957. So I just had to shift that for a few, by a few years so that it could be in the narrative. <laughs> but there was so much I had to leave out, of course, yeah. Oh, definitely. With both of them having very long lives and having done so much, definitely narrow it to the time period that you were looking at. Uh, What surprised you the most about writing this book? As I said earlier, just that overlap between Maria and Jackie's relationships with Onassis, how close they were to each other in time. And I write in the novel, it's like Jackie must have turned up in Scorpius and found reminders of Maria all over the place. You know, Maria had helped to design the way the island was. And then Jackie came in and redesigned everything. And also about, you know, Jackie's relationship with Lee was a big surprise to me. I'd I'd heard that they were called the Whispering Sisters. I don't know who coined that that term, but I thought they were a lot closer than than they turned out to be when I was researching it. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I'm sure there are probably a lot of little rabbit holes that you end up going down and then later are like, I don't really need this, but you still learn a lot. And then there are probably other times you turn up things that you like, like that, which you didn't know. And then it ends up being a portion of your story. Oh, for sure. And I, I mean, readers may well not agree with me, but I ended up feeling a lot more sympathy for Anassis than I thought I would. He had a really difficult childhood. Um, he was—he didn't get on with his father. He went to South America and made his fortune entirely on his own, with just a few dollars in his pocket. He first of all started a business importing Turkish cigarettes into South America. But then there was a tanker that had been sunk during the First World War in Montevideo Harbor. And he got quotes on lifting it out of the water and refurbishing it. And he had the start of his fishing fleet and he was in his early 20s. And I was, I've got respect for that. <laughs> he, was, he took huge financial risks and he was a really canny businessman. Seemingly, he was amazing at mental arithmetic. He could do huge sums in his head. <laughs> and he ran this fleet all over the world. He had a whaling fleet as well, which is not quite so admirable. And he was his own worst enemy, as it turns out but I don't want to give too much away about the plot. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't, because you want to let the reader enjoy uh, discovering all the great details as they're reading. Yeah, yeah. So you've written a number of books. Do you have a favorite of any of your books? My favorite is always the most recent one that I've been working on, because I hope, I mean, I try to challenge myself with each novel to to try a different style or, or a different kind of way of telling the narrative. And um, I really hope that I get better with each book. I'd like to think I do just a little bit in some ways. And so it's always the most recent that I like the best, I think. I've just finished one during lockdown that I'm waiting to get the edits back from my editor at the moment. So I've still got work to do on it, but I would say that's my favourite at the moment. <laughs> Can you tell me about it yet? Just that it's got... One main character, we see her in the 1920s and we also see her 
in the 1970s, looking back at what happened to her in the 1920s and reflecting on how it's changed her life. And that's all I'm allowed to say at the moment, I think, because I think the publishers want to make a, an announcement. But yeah, it was, it was a character I particularly loved writing about. And not that much is known about her, but I based, I know she was very gregarious and friendly, and I based her character slightly on my 15-year-old niece, who just came out of the womb, basically, wanting to make friends with everyone in the world and being extremely gifted at it. I mean, she was talking much earlier than most babies because she just loves talking. She loves meeting people. She chats to old ladies in the street. She talks to the plumber that comes around to fix the pipes. And she's really charming with it. She charms everyone she meets. And I love that quality in her. She's just gorgeous. So I kind of based my main character in this next novel on her. So yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, that's fun. I, my oldest daughter is like that. Yeah. She can talk to anyone. And that's just such a nice characteristic. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the downside of it is that I've been unable to persuade my niece to read books because she just, why would she sit in a corner on her own as soon as, as long as there's a person she can go and talk to or a friend that she can FaceTime? You know, so I haven't managed to get her, the reading habit into her. I have with my nephews. I've been doing well with them, but yeah, I'm still working on it. I'll manage in the end. <laughs> Well, yes, I was say that's something that sometimes comes a little bit later too. Yeah. When you realize it's nice to sometimes balance it. But the thing that's been hard for my daughter is during this shutdown and then everybody trying to stay home is just mm -hmm. not being around people as much. Yeah. Yeah. No, really hard for them. And yeah, no, my niece just uses FaceTime, Zoom, WhatsApp, you name it. She's constantly on social media now. <laughs> yeah. There's always some way to keep in contact. Oh, definitely. And, and, and she does that. But I just sometimes think there's no mm. comparison to being in person, you know, and being out no, and about and interacting with a lot of people. So do you have a set writing schedule or do you just kind of write when it comes to you? How does that work for you? I'm really quite businesslike. It's boring, I know. But I, I get to my desk by eight in the morning and I write till six in the evening, except every day I go swimming. I live on the edge of Hampstead Heath, which is this great big kind of wild open area in North London. And they have ponds there and they have a women's pond that just women swim in. And um, so at some point in the day, I will go and have a swim there every day, year round, even in winter when we break the ice to go in. It's just, it's enormously helpful to my creativity, you know, to, it's a great time, you know, walking, it's about a 20 minute walk away. So even just walking up there and walking back, I'm thinking about plot problems and solving them. And I love swimming. It's, it's my thing. <laughs> so yeah, that's my day really, writing with a swim in the middle. That's amazing. I was going to ask, and then you said it, whether you go in the winter. I'm like, that's impressive. Yep. If you're having to break the ice and head into the water, you probably swim fast then. It's an extraordinary, I, I'm, it, I think it's a drug, actually. I think it releases serotonin or endorphins or something in your bloodstream because you feel fantastic afterwards. I mean, when it's freezing, I probably won't stay in longer than five minutes. And sometimes I stay in a little bit too long, but it's not advisable. <laughs> um, but it's just the most wonderful feeling. I can totally recommend it. It's not for everybody having said that. Well, I also find if I'm working on something and I step away for a little while and then I come back, either I've worked through an issue in my head or I have some new idea that I wouldn't have had. So taking that break and putting your mind to something else and then coming back is probably very helpful for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's something about water that 
I don't want to sound too kind of weird and wacky, but there's something about being around water that really works for me. Because sometimes I also have ideas for my plots in the shower in the morning. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe it's just the that now I'm thinking that I have ideas when I'm around water than I do. So it may be working that way. I don't know. People sing in the shower. You know, I do think sometimes <laughs> there is that kind of creativity or your brain's moving when you're in the shower and stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I have loved speaking with you. This has been so interesting. And before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you if you have any recent recommended reads that you'd like to share with me. Oh, I absolutely do. Thank you for the opportunity. The first one is a book I would never have picked up myself, but my sister thrust it into my hands and I'm now thrusting it into other people's hands. And it's by a Turkish author called Elif Shafak, which I probably totally mispronounced. And the title is 10 Minutes, 38 Seconds in This Strange World. And it's about a Turkish prostitute who's just been murdered and her body left in the dump bin. But don't, don't, don't stop there. What happens is it takes her brain 10 minutes, 38 seconds to shut down. And she goes back through her life thinking about all the events that brought her to this place, but also all the great friendships she's had with other people who were sort of outside society like herself. And it's just, it's a wonderful book about friendship. It's sad, but it's extraordinary. And I never would have thought I'd like it, but I absolutely love it. So that's my first choice. Sorry to go on so long about it. The second one is a Canadian author, Sarah Leipziger. I've probably mispronounced her as well. Coming up for air. I don't know if you've come across this, but it's a historical, it's set in three time zones and three countries. Stories that you really want to get into. And then at the end, they all link up in this very, very clever way. So that's fantastic. And the third one that I want to recommend isn't out yet. It's coming out in the States on the 6th of October. And it's my friend Hazel Gaynor's latest book, When We Were Young and Brave. And I love all Hazel's books, but this is just an absolute coup. It's set in, in a Japanese internment camp during the war where some children and their teachers from a mission school have ended up being being locked away. And you might expect that it's going to be grim and awful and full of torture and so forth, but that's not the way Hazel Gaynor writes. It's really life-affirming and beautiful, and I really recommend that you rush out and buy that on the 6th of October. So yeah, that's my, that's my three choices. Thank you very much for giving me a chance to, to tell you about these. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say, for the first two, I'm thinking she's totally stumped me. I've never even heard of these books. <laughs> so now they both sound great, though, and I'm going to go look them up. But then I was very happy that at least I do know Hazel Gaynor. And I love her books. I have read every one of them. She's one of my favorites. I have not read this one yet, and I can't wait to. And I'm happy to hear it's not super grim because I was a little worried about that just with the subject matter. But she's just a fantastic writer. She's wonderful. Yes, I've read all her books as well. Well, good. Well, this has been just delightful. Thank you so much, Jill, for joining me. And I loved hearing more about the behind the scenes for Jackie and Maria. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me on, Cindy. This is a wonderful podcast and I look forward to, to hearing when it's out. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Jill's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope to see you next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? 
The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.